Zoom. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it to Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It is the first Thursday of the month. That means Jenny Schwager joining us with the We the People segment. How are you, Jenny? Yes, sir. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm fabulous. That's um, good. I'm a, a beaming with sanity in an insane world. It, it, that is a very good definition. <laughs> you know, Speaking of insane weather or world, I think we're getting a dose of what you normally see there in Nebraska, South Dakota. It is like blizzard here. I haven't seen something like this in a long time. Yeah, I keep track of that weatherman, Rich Kane, on the other side of the state from you. And um, I see, well, of course, I talk to my mom on a regular basis. I see you've got a little blanket of snow like the good old days when I was a kid. Yeah, I think there's like 10 inches out there, and it's really blowing nicely this morning, drifting robes over, making travel pretty difficult, Mm -hmm. if possible at all. So... But the kids have a traditional snow day. Our superintendent chose to give them a traditional snow day. So they're not doing e-learning. They don't have to make, you know, any assignments or have responsibilities. They can just go out and play. And he specifically said that. And I thought that was really refreshing. Speaking of which, uh, I didn't think this would be your topic, but hey, Jenny, we never really know what the topic is. No, we don't. My nephew, who goes to high school in Illinois, Payson High School, and I don't believe this is a Payson thing. I think this is a state of Illinois thing. Grayson is a senior. They are no longer allowing uh, excused absences for going to visit a college. So if you want to take a college day, which we can do in our school, you can take a college day, go visit. You're not considered absent because you're part of your pursuing education. But now, no, you can't do that. But they are granted five mental health days. Are you kidding this me? Is, this is new to me, and I am still teaching um, and am an active participant in our school education system and that is not something i have heard not experienced that um i mean we are from my perspective of multiple schools Mm -hmm. we are not getting very much direction from the state and in some cases one school superintendent said that it's almost as though they've had to create their own public health system within the school district um, because they haven't been given any type of guidelines or anything to help them you know with the covid cases or there's been major influenza a lots of strep going around things like that i know that i can say for our Our own school district, I know mental health is something that is taken very seriously um, and rightfully so because we have had situations, um, you know, one that 
really touched us here at home. And so I, I'm, I guess, glad that they are seeing that it's an issue. I'm not sure about requiring things like that. Um, I'm not sure about not allowing the kids uh, to be no. excused to go to college visits. No, I just looked it up. There are a tremendous number of news stories that starting in the calendar school year, fall of 2021, 2022, a child can take up to five days off for school for mental or behavioral health reasons without the doctor's note. That's a new law that went into effect. Oh, no, excuse me. New law went into effect January 1, 2022. I'm going to say that from where I, what I have seen, um, it's, it's a common sense approach. It's not what does a mandate or a law say approach. It's a common sense approach and it's a caring approach because our education administrators and teachers sincerely care about the mental well-being of the students, whatever school district that might be in, that mm-hmm. I have seen. That's just my own observation. I was not aware of that law. Yep. You know, teachers and administrators have so much placed on their shoulders. And, you know, back if everyone hasn't been following, back in the fall, um, I accepted um, an offer. It was actually a favor to become our ag teacher for our ag teacher who went on maternity leave. I never thought teaching would be something for me. I ended up loving it. Um, I stayed on because of the stress that I see our principals under, the stress that I see our superintendent, the the lady who's in charge of finding substitutes. And I said I would keep doing it until Christmas break. And I don't even think we hit Christmas break and they had me scheduled for like two weeks in January. <laughs> and so it just has it's kind of <laughs> continued on. Did you tell them you need, uh, a fi- you need one of your five mental health and behavior days? <laughs> no, but maybe I will use that because I did also, and I think we're going to touch on this, but I also had a recent hospital stay. Um, others that maybe have followed also know that, um, I've lived with Crohn's disease for a long time. Um, but even while I was in the hospital, they were calling me to come in. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't disclosed that that's where I was at. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's how much it's substitutes are needed right now. We're not, we're not, we don't have time to worry about, you know, these, laws or um, the politics or the fights. Our school district is so respectful as far as teachers. You know, there's some teachers who are very, very strict on making sure the masks are worn exactly, precisely, perfectly. And if they have a kid that gets sick in their room, they don't want to touch anything. And I feel... Now having COVID, you probably don't know this. I think I've had it three times now. I believe I had the Omicron, but I wasn't tested for it um, at the time because it was Christmas break. But I have the immunity and I feel safer than somebody else who's maybe high risk that's not had it yet. And so I'll go in there and I'll help sanitize everything for that teacher. 
And, you know, the same as reverse. We just, we respect each other's feelings and thoughts. There's no fights. There's no protests or anything like that. There's no time for any of that. So Illinois school systems still have a mask mandate for kids? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, In There are some exemptions to that. We have some asthmatic students who who are exempted. And then our early childhood care um, kids um, who I've actually gotten to be involved with also are exempt as well. Mm -hmm. So we have not, I don't know of a school system, a high school or grade school system in Nebraska, even in Omaha, that has had a mask mandate in this school year. But I think the universities do because I know that our Lindsay, when she attends class at Hastings College, they are wearing masks. So I can't say that no school in Nebraska does, but I don't know of a high school or a grade school that does, but the colleges do, which is completely asinine. There's no consistency, and that should be everyone's first red flag that I think we can survive with minor adjustments. This yeah. isn't going away. Yeah. And we need to focus more on spending our time learning how to live with it and getting on and enjoying life. Yeah, well, are- I'm not going to be enjoying life wearing a mask every day. I'm just telling you because it's not happening. I will be enjoying life because I'm not doing it. Roll route. Jenny Swaggart, we are here. We will continue to talk about health because I think Jenny's got some insight on what is taking place in the medical systems of the nation. Well, in particular, Illinois. We'll be back with more. Roll out after this. All right. You remember, you've seen the bumper sticker. You've heard the saying, the West wasn't one on salad. Eat beef. Well, that is not just a saying. It's not just a bumper sticker. It's a real story. The beef industry is what connected this country. It's what moved us to develop the West. But today people are fighting over it because it's not available enough. I've talked a lot about the the spread between what the packer is paying the producer, what the product is bringing in the retail case. But in a golden corral in Pennsylvania this past week, the up. There was a 40-person brawl because the Golden Corral ran out of beef. Arrests are pending. Don't run out of beef. Get more details at loosetailsmedia.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Loose alongside Jenny Swigert. First Thursday of the month comes around. We are here. Actually, you had a guest lined up. And you just can't rely on those Brits. (laughs) Yes. Farmer Tom, who I think I didn't realize he's been just like vacationing holiday. He's up and on holiday through the States. And it's just been hilarious because he's been tracking down. He's very much into the food networks, um, diners, drive-ins and dives, I think is what it's called. Um, A television show. It's been on for years. I didn't realize how long, but he's like obsessed with this television show. And we were recently in Louisville together and with others. And 
he wanted to go to this restaurant called The Grind that had been highlighted on the television program. Um, and just, I mean, he's hilarious about all of these restaurants and having to go and check Guy Ferrari's assessment, I guess. But I, I think what has happened, yeah, he was supposed to join us this morning. And I think he is just like right in the transition of going from the States back to the UK. And maybe there's some miscalculation of time. No, but we are going to get him on here. You know that um, Andrew could not get with me this morning on Across the Pond either. And they UK lost all internet yesterday. So I'm, oh. I'm guessing that there are things happening out of his control. Because because I thought when, when I was trying to get a hold of him and you and I were talking earlier today, I thought that he was in the States, which would have made no sense whatsoever. But then I learned you told me that he's back in the UK and the UK's. And by the way, I don't think this is a UK specific thing. I think that what is happening in the UK this week with the Internet going down is a sign of what we will be experiencing. Maybe before we're done here, who knows? A repeat of the Spanish flu. Yeah. A, a reminder, if if folks do not know, the reason the Spanish flu is called the Spanish flu is because during the war, that was the only country that allowed any type of broadcasting communication. And actually, the flu originated, Trent and I disagree on this, but it, its origins are tracked back actually to the U.S., and Kansas. the only reason that I've heard Nebraska can, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree, but yes, that is the entire No, the you're entire not laying reason. that on my Nebraska. It happened in Kansas, <laughs> Southwest Kansas. I know the County. But the point is the entire reason that pandemic outbreak is called the Spanish flu is due to censorship. Not because of that country beginning the pandemic. Yeah. And it also led to the Bolshevik Revolution with the Russians taking land away Mm -hmm. from landowners. Hmm. Ironic, isn't it? History, yeah. Very ironic, definitely, right now. History is a circle. So I will hopefully, it is. Hopefully I'll be able to talk to Tom or message with him. Okay. Um, Go do it again. Because he is an incredible guest. Yeah. He's he's doing some awesome things. Um, if you go Google Farmer Time, it's kind of like FaceTime, but it is set up to connect with classrooms. I believe it's globally. I know he's connected with classrooms here, kind of like a pen pal, you know, 1980s pen pal, except for they connect over the internet. Um, and I believe he's connected to other countries too, in addition to the U.S. and the U.K. And he shows them what's going on at their farm. And one of the things that we very first connected on is he is uh, a sheep herder. And we've kind of gone through cycles together as we, our families continue to try to keep our sheep farm or flock going. Um, but he's also in an area where my grandpa served in World War II, which was really neat. And my grandpa passed this past fall, unfortunately, um, because of COVID. But what he left behind, and we had discussed at length about 
a year ago, my grandparents for years took trips to the UK and they traced everything on a map. And now Jeff and I are going to go back and we're going to trace their trips one Mm, day. That's cool. And it's right in the area of where he and his wife and family are from. So that was kind of cool to connect on also. So So, I just, I just totally hijacked. Not at all, but I just want to correct one thing. Don't go to Google, go to DuckDuckGo because I just did that. And, um, call for farmer time pioneering a new pro approach to agricultural education more than four years of bringing directly into classrooms through live video calls. The initiative has also been rapidly expanding around the globe, including partners in Sweden, Finland, the Republic of Ireland, and Australia, New Zealand. There you go. That's on. And the other cool part, I guess, from my perspective, is the first time that Tom and I met, we were in Germany. Uh, I think we were in Germany. But we were in Europe, and it was just really starting to take off. And so to see his enthusiasm today compared to then is really neat to see. And the growth that's happened is really neat to see also. So go check that out on DuckDuckGo. Yeah. If you have internet. Hopefully you have internet still. Uh, I just got an email, so stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to provide more information? No, not at all. Nope. Oh, okay. Why would I want all to provide right, more then. information before the time actually arrives? You know better than that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No. So we have, um, yeah, so that's what what's been kind of going on here um, just to kind of, I guess that kind of recaps where I've been and, you know, life has been busy here and I still appreciate being able to do this once a month with you and bring on some really cool guests. I also have a costume designer who will hopefully be joining us. In oh, the months to excellent. Come. Yeah. Yeah. So, Last fall, I could see a, a new level of revitalization of Jenny Swaggart through <laughs> teaching agriculture. Is that maintained itself through substitute teaching? Um, not as it had. Um, you know, our, our ag teacher, gosh, those are some big shoes to fill. And not only as an ag teacher, but also as an FFA advisor. And I, I hope that I did well. And the um, relationships, I guess, that I formed with a lot of the kids still exist today. I go into the high school, they come and they hug me. Um, it's definitely been a highlight of, and it's just a short time, but it's been a highlight of my life. I mean, I just never imagined myself being there as a teacher. And so I've been more so in the grade school substituting. And it's just, again, it's just, I just, everyone is so stressed and they have so much on their shoulders. And if there's something that I can do in a small way to help that out, 
And I'm able to do that with my life now because, you know, a few years ago before COVID, I was traveling all the time. Sure, I'd like to help, but there was no way I could do something like this. So it's just kind of a way to, I guess, pay it forward. Um, but I enjoy the the younger kids too. And, you know, they're always wanting to give hugs too and stopping before they get into the parent's vehicle and they run all the way back to the school because you think they forgot something and what they forgot was to give you a hug. And that, that does, that hits me deep. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely still you know, excited and um, wanting to be part. And I think I'll be doing another substituting for a day in the ag classes in a week or two, hopefully. Mm. But yeah, I miss those kids and um, it's, it's nice to follow them and the middle school and the high school are connected. So I, I can sneak out of the middle school and go and find some of the kids. You sound like a teenager. Way. And it's, I'm sneaking out of my room. <laughs> it's well, it's roll route. Just... We're going to sneak out of this section and be back with the second <laughs> half. Jenny Schweiger joining us from Tremont, Illinois. We're back with more after this. Continuing to talk about beef, let's talk about certified Piedmontese and creating a high-quality, tender eating experience with all of those amino acids that you need for healthy living. Certified Piedmontese needs more Great Plains cattlemen to be a part of the supply chain. Get more details about what the premiums amount to. We're talking about $180 per head over market price. That's a per head basis local based upon your local market. 600-pound calves, and we'd like you to AI the cows, but it's not necessary. Get more details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Full details about what it takes to be a part of the supply entity for certified Piedmontese. LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce alongside Jenny Swigert on a Thursday, a We the People Thursday. Uh, You haven't been showing cattle lately, have you? No, we haven't. This has been kind of our downtime. I believe things will start back up in March, but don't quote me on that because I think like any farm or ranch family, things change. Mm-hmm. I, don't, the time. I don't have to quote you on that. You quoted yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. I, I mean, you said, I think we're going to start back up in March. So yeah, I mean, you, you said it. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be, well, is it March or first week of April? We would we would typically be going to Oklahoma to a national show um, with jerseys and Holsteins. Was that but, April that you went to Stillwater? Has that, that been a lot, that long ago? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been almost a year ago. Hmm. That was so much fun. And I guess just to kind of backtrack a little bit so people know, being at the school is also, there's so many, I mean, there's so many cousins and our first generation of cousins, we have really um, populated the school with kids. So, and we, there's just too many to keep track of. So it's all nieces and nephews is how I keep track of everybody. And we like, for instance, just as for example, before our middle son started driving, there were eight on the one school bus. So it's not just, you know, the kids that are there. It's also being able to be there with your family and getting 
to see my kids on a regular basis. And there's other moms that I know that are in the same boat and they're, you know, working in the cafeteria. It's so low stress and they get to see their kids. And that's really an important thing. And I think that a lot of people's priorities have changed since COVID. And hopefully we see more people not looking down necessarily on those jobs, but starting to help out more with those jobs. But yeah, so being able to watch my kids, um, especially our middle son last April was really exciting because it was his first national show by himself without Big Brother looking over his shoulders. And he not only did he nightline for friends, he showed two of our own he was participating in a national FFA event. I mean, in college, I did dairy judging and I did livestock judging, but you can't do it consecutively. You do it like two separate years. And right. this kid did dairy and livestock at the same time last year. So he was competing in both that week also. Wow. It was a very busy week. Yeah. Yep. But that would start things rolling depending on where we're at and what's going on. So you've had you you brought this up yourself. You've had some health um, issues again. Yeah. What what what's going on with that? Yeah. And and I want to bring it up because I have really I guess been I feel privy to things that people do not see or hear about. Um, I have had two hospital stays since this fall, and it's very interesting to hear what is being said in the media or so-and-so is talking about that they heard from so-and-so or you'll read something on Facebook or Instagram. And I, I really want to share, I mean, this is all connected to Crohn's and, you know, I'm kind of at a crossroads where things are going to be changing in the way of how we treat this. And, and I'm at peace with that and I'm good with that. Um, and I can't share anything more right now. Um, but, by next month, I will be able to. But my most recent stay, well, let's back up. Okay, so the first stay, at that point, our nurses were not to the deadline where they mm-hmm. had to be vaccinated. And I was so surprised at the number of nurses who did not want to be vaccinated. And a lot of that, and that was a surgery floor that time, a lot of them were hesitant because of the patients that have had side effects that they've seen. And I, you can't, I mean, they've seen it. Can we really expect them to subject themselves to possibly being in that same place? And that really, that hit me, that hit me there because most of what we see on social media, I shouldn't say most, but a lot are some outspoken healthcare professionals who have probably seen other perspectives. And I, I don't um, want to downplay that, but, and they have their own reasons for wanting to receive the jab. Mm-hmm. But, but that was, that was really interesting to hear from multiple nurses the right. other part was that I was on what had been our local COVID floor. So the entire floor that I was on had been dedicated for two, it was 18 months, had been dedicated to COVID only patients. 
what I saw or what I didn't realize, a lot of times we hear, oh, there's no rooms available. Well, that's not necessarily true. There's rooms available, but they are not COVID, I guess, regulated because they have to be pressure controlled and temperature controlled and all of that to keep the ventilation in from getting into other rooms or other parts of the hospital. So when they say that there are no rooms available, that's not necessarily really what's happening. There may not be any COVID rooms available. And then there could be reason for opening up another section or another area. And I tried to be pretty vocal about that because I think that that's, that's really a trigger fear point for a lot of people when they yep. hear that because, oh gosh, this must be out of control. Now, this next, this last visit, the COVID floor still does no longer, it's, it's now back to its normal surgery. The floor that I was on this time was a different floor, and we had three patients on the floor. Mm-hmm. And what they've done is on each floor, they have dedicated, ooh, I see what's happening now. I'll keep going. Um, there were three rooms that were dedicated to the three COVID patients that happened to be on our floor. Um, before we go on here, one thing I do want to mention, I knew I may be I, in the emergency room. I may have been admitted and I was concerned about that, honestly. And I expressed that concern to my doctor and she was, very, it was such a different perspective from what we've been hearing. She's, she's like, we're going to have to live with this. She's like, I've seen one COVID patient all day today. And that emergency room had been insane. I haven't seen it that crazy in a long time. Right. She's like, I've seen one today. You're going to be fine. And with that, we'll box that up because we have someone that's decided to drop in. Well, you opened up a lot of can of worms there that I, I wanted to follow up on because my mother went to the emergency room last weekend. Uh, she was dehydrated. She was COVID positive. She told them she would not stay the night, but they could fix her dehydration. She went home and um, she's, and here's the only other thing I want to say about that, which is a whole different dynamic that needs to be explored in the medical field is that my mother was a registered nurse at that hospital for 42 years. So she knows the hospital, right? And I asked her if she knew the doctor because she was there for so long, although she's now been retired for quite some time. And she said, no, I was one of those rent to doctors. And that's, and I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, it is very common right now. And, that's very concerning because he's rented doctor. She said he's at this, at this hospital for two weeks and then he's going to Indiana and he was from like North Carolina or something like this. And I'm thinking, how does a doctor, and it should be a, still a community. I don't care. Quincy, she's in Quincy, Illinois. That's 45,000 people. Maybe that's fairly that's too big for me anymore, but you should still have continuity in the community as a doctor. And I know personally, I have friends who are doctors who are traveling and they may be retired cardiovascular experts or surgeons. They want to retire, but there are hospitals in such dire straits of experts in these fields 
they come in for two weeks and do their thing and then move on. Well, I, I, I just don't understand that that is not practicing medicine. Practicing medicine is uh, developing a relationship, knowing your, your patient going forward. These people are just reading charts and, and you can't learn no, about people not. reading charts. They're not reading charts. <laughs> Um, there are pros and cons to what you just discussed, mm-hmm. um, but I can assure you they are not reading charts. What does that mean? Um, nine times out of ten, if I see a doctor in the emergency room, they have not read my chart. They don't know that I've had 26 years of experience with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. They don't go back and see that I've had eight blockages since January of 2018. They don't See, that know makes it even that. worse. That makes the scenario it worse. It is. It's scary. It's very scary because that means they're treating based on a patient who, in my case, very much excruciating high levels of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, blood pressure is high. I'm not thinking completely straight when I'm in that much pain. I can't tell you everything. My husband couldn't come in at that point in time to help. And he knows just as much as I do. So they're relying on a patient who is extremely discomfortable, probably cannot remember everything that's been going on and is asked the same question over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. And that is actually, I have recently learned, um, actually taught to do that. Wow. We see, we will see a whole new rebirth in medicine again on the other side of this. And I don't know when the other side begins. I don't know anything of what I said other than what has been happening in the medical business will not continue to happen. We are going to take a break. I see that we have a guy named Farmer Tom who maybe figured out how to maneuver through that internet in the UK. We'll take a break. We'll be back with the last segment of Rollout. James Parker, Trent Luce, and Farmer Tom after this. You've heard Dr. Nathan Bryan talk about the importance of nitric oxide and your immune health. We've got a full dissertation. You can find the entire conversation if you go to Trent on the Loose, and that is at Beck.News. But the moral of the story is that no matter what your diet, you should take a supplementation of nitric oxide. One lodges a day, maybe two, depending on what your blood flow is. I take one. I've taken one for 18 years. Some people need to take two. It's all about the science and what's best for you. No2u.com. You can get a special offer today if you put Trent in the coupon code or go to loosetailsmedia.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Trent Loose alongside Jenny Swaggart. And I believe we have Farmer Tom checking in from the UK. Apparently, we've got some service finally in the UK. Yes. Jenny, yes. You, we've kind of set this up. A segment or two ago, but tell us what we're in for here. Right. A guy who's addicted so, to a TV show with Guy Ferrari. Is that what you said we're in for? More or less. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's a very good summative of of the situation, I think. Um, we had to, at our hotel before everybody decided to jump into the Ubers, um, we had to hear a formal description of this restaurant, I believe called The Grind. Um, I, I actually have that on video. I, I should 
put that on social media somewhere. Um, and then, you know, the description of what happened. And I think this was a program that aired quite some time ago. But if if a city has one of these restaurants, he has to go see it. And so we all, I think there was over a dozen of us, jumped into these Ubers and we're trying to get there. And all of a sudden we get there and it's dark. And actually then we start realizing a lot of things around us are dark. Nothing's open. What is going on? And, you know, it was Louisville, Kentucky. Most of us are from the north, I think. Um, and it had been snowing for a little while. Because of the half inch of snow, the mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, made a proclamation that all businesses close their doors. So sadly, we were not able to go and enjoy this restaurant, the grind that we had all been like really worked up about and were ready to see if we could be mini Guy Ferraris. Um, I'm still just kind of like mm-hmm. for an half inch of snow and Louisville, like I can, I can see that in Houston. I can see that in Biloxi, but Louisville, that just seems so far north for that to happen. But that's, that was kind of the bombshell and what happened in our, our search for the grind. Farmer Tom, are you with us? Uh, I'm with you, receiving you loud and clear. All right. <clears throat> Where exactly in the UK are you? I'm about uh, 80 miles north of London, uh, pretty close to Cambridge, I think would probably be the nearest nearest uh, well-known town. That That's way too close to a lot of people, London. It, it, we're, do you know, we're, we're a pretty highly populated island. There's, a, there's uh, 70 million of us over here, and there are mm. only five U.S. states that are smaller than the entire United Kingdom. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty crowded. Tell us about your farm. So we're, um, we're a mixed farm. We're mainly arable, combinable crops. So that's wheat, barley, canola, beans, and we have a few sheep as well. And we work closely with my, my uncle who farms next door and has beef cattle. So um, we're, we're a pretty conventional mixed operation, um, farming on relatively heavy clay, clay soils. No dairy cows, so that because you're close to, uh, well, you're not too far from Nottingham, right? And the, the great cheese mecca that it is. That's right. Uh, you see, to, to the to the west, we've got um, where it starts to get a little bit more hilly, mm-hmm. uh, and they get a bit more rain. It's uh, it's it's pretty good dairy country. So we've got um, yeah, some fantastic cheeses made out that way. You mentioned Nottingham Melton Mowbray, um, uh, and actually we're 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 about three miles away from a village called Stilton, um, which you'll know well from the name of the cheese. So um, yeah, it's no, a pretty no. good pretty good cheese heritage. No. No, actually, I want to interrupt you there, Tom. I did not know about Stilton cheese until I went to Stilton, England, and then I got the whole thing, and this cheese is fantastic, and it's not something that we'd normally come by here in the U.S. Oh, well, yeah, you, you, were, you were pretty close to our, to our home, and mm-hmm. we, did, uh, we did a challenge last February. We tasted a different British cheese every day for the month of February. Um, I found out there are about eight. Hey. 100 British cheeses, so um, it was great to taste a few of them. 
And you're doing that again. Well, this February, I mean, we always try and support our dairy farmers through the month of February, through February dairy. Um, uh, this, this, this February, I'm going to try my hand at making my own cheese. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I have no experience whatsoever. I'm not particularly <laughs> good, but I'm very good at eating cheese. So um, I'm hoping I can, I can piece together the, the other bits of the supply chain <laughs> and come up with something half decent. What was the winner in your contest last year? Oh, well, we, yeah, we, run it, we run it for a couple of years. The, the, the winner the first year was a fantastic soft cheese from Sheffield in the north of England called Little Mester. Um, mm-hmm. which was a, a cow's cheese produced um, by, uh, by a lady who, who only produces very small batches, uses um, you know, great, um, uh, great milk from uh, uh, a dairy called Our Cow Molly in Yorkshire. Uh, and just, just, it was just a fantastic cheese. But, but really, I, I felt like we were sport for choice. And as soon as you start looking around for cheese, and that's in the US or the UK, it, you, know, you, you soon find there's some great stuff around beyond the, um, the relatively benign uh, stuff we get sometimes a supermarket so and those are jersey cows i'm assuming Mm, no No, we we have a whole mixture um jersey's obviously pretty well known in the uk a lot of frisians as well um the montbelliard cow is very popular it's a swiss a swiss breed um or a montbelliard cross Uh, and apparently i mean i'm going way beyond my level my area of expertise here but um it's because the the fat droplets are, are much smaller in the montbelliard milk that's what makes a fine, more refined, flavorful cheese. So back to your own operation, Tom. Uh, you're in the, the cereal grain business is what we would call you here for the most part. Um, is that malt barley you're raising? Yeah, we, we, um, well, we, we aim to produce malting barley. Um, I would probably say about 50% of the time we don't make the spec here. Um, it's quite a, it's quite a, um, uh, we struggle to get our nitrogen levels low enough for 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 malting, um, but um, we've got some going away for to make syrup, um, and otherwise it goes into feed as well. So I mean that's why we try and support our dairy farmers. I may not have dairy cattle here, but but we're all interreliant as farmers. You know, one uh, one person's produce goes to uh, to another operation and and then back again. So um, yeah, we we um, uh, we're very we're very interreliant. Well, with that shortage of nitrogen coming to the UK in this growing season, you should be able to be just fine with your nitrogen levels in your barley this year. That's right. It's um well, our, our friend Mr. Putin and uh, and and all the other things, crazy things going on in the world, are, are certainly conspiring. Our um our nitrogen prices have increased by about three hundred and fifty percent, uh, well three hundred percent, and I think they have over over on your side of the pond as well. So it'll be definitely an interesting and challenging year. Well, just to make sure that everything followed suit, we have burned down one of our nitrogen-producing plants in, uh, I believe, North Carolina. Yesterday, it was still burning, so we, we, that's another topic for another day. We've mm-hmm. already been through half of this last segment, Tom. What, what led you into farmer time and communicating with the people virtually about what you do on your farm? Well, I'm pretty passionate. I've only been a farmer for the last five or six years, um, worked in a, a, other industries before that, but I'm just pretty passionate about, number one, uh, the great industry we, we work in. I mean, farming is agriculture. It provides the answer to a lot of the questions that society is, produ- is, uh, is asking at the moment, but also just passionate about showing people what happens on the other side of the farm gate. 
Um, it's, you know, we, we have a great opportunity at the moment. People don't know a lot about farming, but they're fascinated by farming. So it's a, it's a great tension. It's a great opportunity. And so by linking uh, farmers, each with their own classroom somewhere around the UK, um, we, we, we can help those children to learn about what happens in the countryside, how their food is produced, uh, but also to, to get to know a farmer such that if, uh, you know, if in future somebody tells them that all farmers um, are, are cruel and nasty, that they douse the countryside in chemicals or they, uh, they don't care about animal welfare, um, that they can say, hang on a minute, I used to do farmer time and I, knew, I had a farmer called Farmer Tom. And I'm sure he wouldn't be like that. And it allows them just to just to kind of process information a little bit better with that and, uh, and not just take all that nonsense that, uh, that unfortunately we hear a lot these days. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with uh, Ray Brown, a dairyman in Cheshire? Excuse me, Cheshire? <laughs> I, I don't think I am, although, I mean, if he's a dairyman for Cheshire, he'll produce some fantastic cheeses up there. Actually, Ray is, uh, he's globally famous for his Holstein cattle. He supplies genetics around the world, but he has just opened up a retail shop right at his farm. I've been there myself. I was there, uh, February 2020 and he continues to expand. And, um, if you're ever in the area of Cheshire, make sure you go look up Ray Brown because he does a fantastic job and gets right close to the consumer. People walk. That's what we can't relate to. And you know this, Tom, because you've been to the U.S. We can't relate to the the paths and people constantly walking by through or in and around your farm because it's just such a tight area and there's so many pedestrians. Well, that's right. Our, our historic rights away, which are generally started by farming labourers walking to work or, or from work or to church and from church, are now enshrined in law as public rights away. And it means that people can walk um, not quite where they want, but they can certainly walk any of those ancient routes. Um, and uh, it can be a little bit frustrating, but equally uh, with every challenge that there's an opportunity in it. And it's a chance to to interact with the general public who are ultimately paying our bills and um uh, you know, and show them the great things that we're doing here on this farm and many others. I think that perspective right there, what you just said is what is my favorite part about you and what you're doing. You just summed it up perfectly. Oh, thank you. Well, I just, I just think, you know, we've got so many reasons to be optimistic in farming. There's sure there's a lot of stuff gets us down government climate and world markets and all kinds of things. But, um, uh, you know, we've got so many reasons to be optimistic and, 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 you know, the, all the different things happening in the current age just present a fantastic opportunity to help people get closer to where their food comes from and to cherish, uh, um, in their hearts, but also financially, uh, the farmers who produce the food and steward the countryside. So it's, it, you know, it's a really exciting time. We now have 800 farmers in the UK who are part of farmer time. We have, uh, um, probably about a thousand farmers around the world, Australia, New Zealand, Finland, Sweden, Republic of Ireland, uh, South Africa, uh, and, and we're piloting in the USA who, who are doing exactly the same thing, who are, who are reacquainting or actually just acquainting young people, the next generation of consumers and, 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 and laborers, um, and politicians with, uh, with what goes on on our side of the farm gate. So it's, it, we have every reason to be excited uh, and optimistic for the future. Well, Tom, we have uh, reached that point in time when I have to say that we have journeyed down the road connecting everyone around the world to agriculture, and uh, we are going to get you back as soon as possible, okay? Thank you for getting with us here in the last segment. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. 
We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America around the world. For Jenny, Farmer Tom, Trent, we remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route.